sharing our faith and passion for the Lord Jesus Christ with others is a desire of Zion Christian Fellowship. Our prayer is that this message will have a lasting impact on your life and draw you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. This message is not copyrighted. You are free to make copies for friends and neighbors. We only ask that you copy it in its entirety without alterations or changes. Now unto the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, good morning. Greetings in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Well, I welcome to everyone to our worship service this morning. Even though we're halfway through it, I guess. But it's good to see all the faces here. And I guess we should pray for those who are sick and many who are not able to be here. Um, If they're listening in, we wish you God's blessings and recovery. I invite you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And verse 8 is our text this morning. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8. says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. This is the Lord's will for all of us today, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. If you want to know what the will of the Lord is, well, here's part of it. His will is that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So I'd like to speak on this uh, admonition here to give some definition to it and and see what the Lord is teaching us here. It says that men should pray, and I think uh, by contrast, the next verse, it speaks about women. So it is specifically addressing men. However, in verse 9, it says, In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel so on. So there is a like manner that relates to the sisters, and I think the principle here of praying uh, certainly applies to the sisters as well as the men, but here it is principally talking to the men, I will therefore that men pray everywhere. Now there are other places in the scripture where this matter of prayer Uh, 
has similar thoughts in the words of Jesus. He said that um, he said that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Here it uses the term everywhere. And in uh, Thessalonians, I think, Paul wrote that we should pray without ceasing. So the thought is that at all times, in every time, and in every place, we should pray. But before we get much further here in this verse itself, it says, I will therefore, and the therefore has a precedent. There's, there's a reason. And so we need to go back uh, to prior verses, which we will do here. And in the beginning of the chapter, verse 1, he again uses that, or before actually, he uses that word, therefore. So we need to back up a little farther into chapter 1. And while Paul in this uh, letter to Timothy is addressing a number of topics, I think for the purpose of our study this morning, we will break in in verse 12 of chapter 1. maybe referencing the prior verse, verse 11, where he talks about the glorious gospel. In verse 12 he says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful and putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority that they may lead, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our savior who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth for there is one god and one mediator between god and men 
the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am in men, uh, I'm sorry, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So here is Paul giving his uh, instructions to Timothy as a minister. I believe at Ephesus, as it says in verse 3 of the first chapter. And he's using his own testimony as, a, um, as an example here. And so in considering this matter of praying, and his admonition that men pray everywhere, it seems that one of the primary things in all this, uh, this passage that we read, he begins by giving a testimony of how God marvelously saved him. And he even says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He was one of the chief examples of those whom Christ came to save. He talked about his experience as a sinner. But the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. And then he talks about having received mercy. And in verse 17, he kind of breaks out in, a, in just praise to the Lord, now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That was his expression after giving testimony of how the Lord had saved him so marvelously, even though he had, had greatly transgressed against the Lord. Now this is in the context of preaching the gospel. This is what his charge was, to preach the gospel. And as he mentions later again about the preacher to the Gentiles. And then this charge, he says, I commit unto thee, son Timothy. So there is a like manner in which Timothy was charged with preaching the gospel, the glorious message of salvation. And then going to chapter 2, he gives some specific instructions about what to pray. He says that, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men and for kings and for all that are in authority. So he's saying the prayers should be made for these. And then he says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. And why is that? It's because that God wills that all men should be saved. 
And so again, he's touching on this great theme of salvation, that Christ came into the world to save sinners. And in verse 4 here, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. And then adds that there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So he's speaking of the glorious gospel, the glorious truth that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It's God's will that all men be saved. And that they recognize that there is this one man, Christ Jesus, the mediator between God and men. And that in verse 7, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. So as we look at our text here in verse 8 then about praying everywhere, I will therefore, therefore is telling us that it's because Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why we should pray. And that should be our... our. Um, our motivation and should be our thought as we pray. The reason we are praying and, and specifically he had mentioned that we should make intercession or supplications, prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men. So as we pray one for another, we can make these supplications which are um, making or begging, if you will, begging God, prayers, requests, intercessions, praying for others, for men. And why should we do that? It's because Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he is the one mediator between God and man. And it's God's will that all men be saved. And that's why we should pray everywhere. At all times. Praying without ceasing because God wants to use us to work out his will in those around us in the body and and the all men it should be the foundation of our testimony and evangelism it starts with prayer it starts with praying for our brothers we should pray and make intercessions to god for our brothers that god would work in them and make them what he wants of them. We should pray for those around us that they might be saved. And if there's, I know there's been a question sometimes, you know, what, uh, 
if salvation is an interaction between a, uh, an individual and God, then what does it avail to pray? And perhaps that's uh, influenced especially by the Calvinist thought is that God is sovereign and he saves some whom he will and those he doesn't want to save he doesn't. But this very clearly says that it's God's will that all men be saved. And therefore he asks us to pray, making intercession to God for the salvation of others. So his will is, God's will is, that men pray everywhere. And he even gives us here the instructions on what we should pray. Another thing that he mentions uh, for prayer is for kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Now that's a large subject. Uh, we won't cover it very thoroughly here this morning, but just to make reference to the fact that our prayers can affect the nation. As we pray for our leaders, our kings, and for all that are in authority, which would start on a local level and as we have in our country, we have various jurisdictions um, that go from small to large. Uh, local, and then there's state, and then there's uh, the nation. And we should pray for them because they have a responsibility to maintain order and righteousness and justice in the land. And while it's true that much of that is in decay and, and decline because the wickedness of man is getting worse and worse, but we should pray. We should pray that there can be order and righteousness and justice in the land that it says we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Now, it is true that men can still have a testimony of quietness, peaceableness, and godliness and honesty even in times of persecution. Now, throughout history... There are many times that Christians have been hated and persecuted, cast into prison, brought in trial before kings, and, and they have been hated and hunted. And that doesn't sound like a quiet and peaceable life. But I believe that it is God's will for men to live in peace. And we can see that because of the promise uh, in the world to come where there will be peace and righteousness throughout the whole earth. And while we might think, well, this isn't really compatible with, with persecution and being hated for Christ's sake, 
But yet in our experience here in, in this land, when there is a recognition of God's or maybe not even necessarily an, an outright acknowledgement of God, but if his principles and his ways are, are kept, there is quietness and peace in the land. For example, we in our nation, uh, you've probably heard in the news about in some cities where looting and theft is getting to be such a problem and such an epidemic that uh, law enforcement even just kind of backs off and lets it happen because it is so rampant. But that's quite a departure from what this nation used to be, where lawlessness of that sort was not tolerated. And can you imagine what it would be like if perhaps it is in some other nations that have declined even further, where that was just a common occurrence, theft and, and robbery and so on. But in most parts of our country, that's, that's still uh, a bit rare and, and at a minimum when you consider the entire picture. But, of course, it is getting worse and worse. And, and we could say, well, it's always been that way, but... And it has. There's always been theft and so on, but it is getting worse and worse. And so our prayers should be for those who are in authority, for kings, um, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. When the righteous rule, the people are at peace. But when the wicked rule, there is oppression. And we can see some of that uh, as it works out um, from administration to administration. Uh, you can see that when they uphold principles of right and justice, there is, there is more peace and order, and when that is scorned, uh, it's, it goes in decline. Let's look here now at verse 8. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So there are two conditions here. The first one, in this matter of praying, he says that we should be lifting up holy hands. Now what are holy hands? And why does it call it holy hands? Lifting up holy hands. Well, the expression here, lifting up hands, has the sense of imploring or of beseeching, of, of asking God, which is the context here. This is a matter of us coming before God with supplications, with prayers. And it is represented by this Expression, lifting up hands. Now we could say that would be literal, and there is certainly a sense of that, but there's more than just a literal thought here, is that 
and that is that this demonstrates an expression of imploring, of asking, of coming and beseeching God for something. And he says that it should be when we come with that expression of desire and request, it should be with holy hands. Well, what makes our hands holy? Well, they are holy as a representation of a holy life. If our life is not holy, we do not have holy hands. Now let's turn, if you will, to uh, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 15, where God had something to say to the children of Israel. This is the beginning of Isaiah's book and his vision. And it was a reproof from the Lord for Israel departing from God. And he talks about them in verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. He's comparing them to a very wicked city. And asking, what is the reason for your sacrifices? Because your sacrifices and incense are an abomination unto me. Verse 13. These are the words of the Lord. And then in verse 15 it says, And when ye spread forth your hands, and this is the very same thought that we read in our text here about lifting up holy hands. When ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Then he says, Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. So it's a parallel thought there where when they spread forth their hands, God will not hear because of the wickedness of their life. And their hands, he said, are full of blood. And that wasn't literal. It was a, he was telling them that they have wickedness in their life. They are guilty of blood. And so it's spoken of as being on their hands because this expression of the hands, lifting up the hands or spreading forth the hands was coming to God. And God said, if you have sin and you have guilt on your hands, I will not hear. So coming to God begins with a holy life that we might have holy hands. Now that could be a great subject in itself, but it is so important for us to have personal holiness in our lives if we expect God to hear. Paul admonished, um, I believe it was in the, to the Corinthians, he said um, that they should cleanse themselves from all 
filthiness of the flesh and spirit cleanse themselves. So how are we doing when we think of coming before God? Are we coming with a holy life, with holy hands? Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. And again, that expression there, clean hands, represents the equivalent of a pure heart. It's not hands that are full of blood or hands that are full of iniquity, but it is hands that have been cleansed. Make you clean, God said to those in there in the words of Isaiah. Wash you, make you clean. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Hands that represent a sanctified and holy life. And then he says, without wrath and doubting. Now that may seem a bit strange to us, but the wrath there has more, not so much the idea of anger, as we might think of somebody getting angry. It's not really saying that you should be praying without getting angry. The wrath there has more an idea of vengeance. Now that's closely paralleled with anger, of course, because it talks about the wrath of God. And that was even referenced there in Romans chapter 12, where he says, neither give place to wrath, Well, I better turn to that uh, just to make sure I get that right. He says, verse 19. Okay, I was giving it the wrong, uh, wrong context there. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, meaning yield, do not enter into this wrath, but yield. And he says, avenge not yourselves, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So this wrath is referring to a thought of vengeance, And when we think about praying for other men, making intercession for them, it should not be with the mindset of vengeance or calling God's judgment upon them, though they probably deserve it, we might think. But that should not be our mindset. Our mindset should be that it is God's will that all men be saved. And that it is for God to take vengeance on their unrighteousness or their injustice or their wickedness. We should yield and not have that attitude of vengeance or wrath, but rather a spirit of supplication, a spirit of wanting them to receive the abundant mercy of God. 
That's what Paul experienced, the marvelous grace and abundant mercy of God. And so his prayer or his admonition here is that we should have that same attitude for other men, that we implore God's mercy on them and not vengeance, not, uh, he says, and doubting, and that has to do with the thought of judging or um, and is paralleled to the idea of vengeance. So this wrath and doubting is kind of a very similar thought, and the main uh, premise here is that our prayers for all men here should be without this sense of vengeance, or that God would would pour out his wrath or his vengeance. Now we can find in the Psalms where David, at times, he implored God to take vengeance on his enemies. Well, that's an example of a different dispensation in the Old Covenant where God did use his people sometimes to bring judgment. But that is not the spirit in the New Testament And that's what Paul is addressing here, is that when we come to God, we come with a life that has been sanctified, that has been washed, and a life that is one of holiness, so that we can come with holy hands. And it's without an attitude of vengeance or justice, but one of supplication, one of imploring, God's mercy upon all men, upon kings, and all those in authority, and so on. Because God is a merciful God. And he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to a knowledge of the truth. So that's God's message for this morning. That men pray everywhere with holy hands and without an attitude of vengeance but one of imploring God's mercy. And of course he follows then with some admonition for the sisters that he begins with in like manner also. While it is primarily for the men, the women have a like manner. There is a way in which they also should be praying, making intercession for men. And we are here in our age and in our day with the same charge that Timothy had and that Paul had that we make intercession for men and to us has been committed this this charge and this ministry to pray everywhere lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting and may god bless with that